I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Hey, welcome, welcome everyone in Let's Talk AI. Uh, in today's episode, we're with uh, Abiola Trezor Jiggy. And um, Trezor, how would you describe yourself uh, in a few words? So uh, first of all, thank you, Thomas, for, for having me here and letting me share my experience with, with all your audience. I'm, I'm really pleased to be here. So um, uh, I'm uh, Abiola Trezor Jiggy. I'm uh, uh, Beninese. I come from the Republic of Benin and I've been residing in France for like um, eight years now. And um, I'm currently working as an AI research engineer at Decatemos. So um, Decatemos is uh, this uh, small start startup uh, specialized in uh, strategy consulting. And um, our specificity is that we mix both human intelligence and uh, artificial intelligence to uh, predict the future, to model the future. And this way, we are empowering leaders to take decisions and build future-proof uh, action plans uh, in these times of uncertainties. So um, on the top of my daily job at the Castemos, I will describe myself as um, uh, a social pacifier. It is something I, I like to do. Anywhere there is trouble, I like to get in and I try to uh, uh, bring peace in, uh, in the environment. Um, uh, this is how I, I would describe myself uh, from a social point of view. And professionally, I think I'm more than just um, an AI research engineer. Before all, I'm a data scientist and uh, a data scientist with uh, a specialization in natural language processing. In uh, uh, my journey, my ongoing journey uh, in data science at the uh, early stage, I tried to specialize myself in NLP. Um, just I want to precise that I, I have tested like the general data science because uh, for me, data science can be divided into two parts. You have the learning part and you have the modeling part. So learning part is everything related to general data science. And the modeling part is something um, the, that other branch made up of natural language processing and uh, computer vision, uh, namely. So I tried both and I got that uh, systematic bound with natural language processing because it showed for me to be like a mix between science and literature. So uh, since I'm also really interested in literature, I got that bound with uh, NLP. And since then, I've tried to do uh, the most projects I can do in the field. And that's how uh, I've been building my brand in NLP, if I can I can call it that way. So in a nutshell, I'm a, um, a data scientist with a specialization in natural language processing. Great, thanks. Yeah, thanks for this introduction. Uh, I was looking forward to this episode as I wanted to to hear more about uh, your expertise in NLP. Uh, yes. How do you mix it with MLOps? Um, and also uh, your vision on how NLP have been growing. I really like how it's not the first time that I hear someone say talking about NLP and how how we can relate it to literature or psychology. And there are many things, great things to do with it. So uh, could you maybe share um, the, the evolution uh, of NLP kind of from your perspective and maybe some projects you've been working on through times? 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, thanks for the, for the question. It's a, it's a quite interesting question because uh, indeed, when you do your first steps in NLP, this is one of the first questions that just pop out because um, you just face models that look very advanced and you ask yourself it, if it has always been this way or if there was, you know, some uh, primary stages that have evolved to, to give what you we are using today as models. So I think that um, to make it quick, there are uh, three main steps in the evolution of NLP. You have the birth, which is around uh, 1950s. So it's the birth of NLP where uh, all the models were like heuristics based. So heuristics is, uh, I would say, this kind of method that we usually use in data science, but that, that is mainly based on um, common sense, on uh, rules, on, uh, I don't know, it's not rational, it's not perfect, but the advantage is that it uh, helps to reach quick, short-term solutions to the stated problems. So NLP at the beginning was uh, this type of methodologies. So uh, an example would be if we are trying to perform a task of uh, sentiment uh, detection, for example, sentiment analysis. So um, rule-based approaches would be, okay, if we get the word bad or the word unhappy or the word uh, disgusting in a sentence, then uh, the polarity of the sentence is uh, negativity. But if you get uh, words like uh, pleasant, great, um, uh, very cool, then the polarity of the sentence is a uh, positivity. So this is the kind of approaches that we had at the beginning of the, of NLP. But the disadvantage of uh, this kind of approach is that it depends on the domain. It's not domain agnostic at all, because depending on the domain, the way of expressing negativity is not the same at all. So when you want to find the rules, you have to find people that are specialized in the domain. And this is uh, something that is uh, really relating on the expertise of people. It's uh, time consuming because you need to have to find the, the right people and then they need to take time to find the right rules. So yeah, that's like uh, one of the limits of uh, the domain. And then when we reached uh, the 1990s, we got the rise of machine learning in general. And what's super cool here is that the experts of NLP at that time, they have managed to leverage all the knowledge of machine learning and apply it to, uh, to natural language processing. So here we have, we have moved from something that is only uh, heuristics to something that is uh, more um, general, something that is using uh, machine learning, that is learning patterns, and then identifying them in uh, other tasks and uh, giving results. So here, the general pipeline is the same uh, as the one we can get in uh, any other data science problem. So you have your problem, you collect the, the data. Here, the data will uh, mainly be textual data. Uh, then you process, you do some uh, features uh, engineering to extract uh, interesting features from your data. And then you implement the models, you train, you train them, you test them. Um, and if you say that you think that the models are good enough, then you deploy them. So this is the process that um, is uh, used here in NLP with machine learning as well. I could take an example to illustrate what I'm saying. Um, you know, let's take the example of uh, sentiment analysis again. So here, one of um, the kind of features engineering that we could do is, well, you take the language on in which we are working, let's say it's English, okay? So you uh, identify all the words in the English vocabulary. Let's say uh, English is made up of 100 words. So you take all the 100 words and uh, for each word, when you take a given sentence for each word, 
you've tried to find um, the number of occurrences of that word in your sentence. So you have uh, at the end, you have some kind of vector with uh, 100 cells. And in each cell, each cell corresponds to a given word. And uh, in, e in each cell, you put the level of occurrences of that word in the sentence in the cell. And then you get a vector of 100 cent sentence, uh, 100 cells, and it's kind of uh, the features of your model. And then you can you can use any other classical machine learning model we know. It's maybe um, um, trees, uh, decision trees, maybe naive bias or SVMs. You just put the vectors for the model and then you get the output, you, uh, you test, and if you validate, you can deploy. So this is how uh, machine learning had moved from uh, rule-based approaches mainly to uh, NLP, sorry, had moved from rule-based rule uh, approaches to machine learning-based approaches. And then around 2010, you've got the rise of deep learnings. So here, this has been something quite uh, revolutionary in machine learning because uh, the advantage here is that we have tried to build things that are more general because in the example that I gave before for machine learning, the, uh, the main limit is that we don't take into account the others of words when, when computing the vectors. Like if I take the sentence, for example, the sentence, I am happy, or am I happy? In the first one, I am saying that I'm happy. But in the second one, I'm asking if I'm happy. So I can't really say that uh, the question, am I happy, is positive or negative. I'm not expressing any sentiment. I'm just asking a question. And with the, the machine learning approach, where we just look at uh, the number of words occurring in a sentence, we don't take into account the order of the, 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 the words within the sentence. So language is um, a sequential object. Like when you're using language, you have to take into account that sequence because when the word is uh, occurring at the beginning of the sentence, it does not have the same meaning as when it is occurring at the end of the sentence. And here with um, deep learning in NLP, this will be that aspect that has been that had been uh, ignored so far that will be taken into account this time. So words are represented uh, as embeddings and um, the, 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 the model that was widely used in NLP is uh, RNNs for recurrent neural networks. So when you're processing a sentence, you go from left to right, and every time you're linking uh, the current words and at which you are spotting to all the previous words you've met in the sentence. And making links, connecting words with each others has just helped to uh, understand more the global sense of sentences and not just taking words separately. And then uh, in the ecosystem of deep learnings in NLP, We've moved from RNNs to uh, transformers today. And one of the most famous models using transformer is BERT for a bidirectional encoder um, representation from transformers. It's like it was one of the revolution uh, of the uh, uh, deep learning in NLP. Uh, it was, I think, around 2017, approximately. And uh, today we are at the autoencoders level. So to make it short, you have rule-based approaches at the early stage of NLP. And then at the middle age, you have uh, machine learning, which is also applied in general data sciences, uh, data science with uh, uh, quite classical approaches. And then today you have deep learning uh, with RNNs at the early stage of deep learning ecosystem. And nowadays transformers, which are something that are 
really specific to NLP because transformers have been invented in NLP. Well, today they are they apply to other fields such as computer visions, but it is uh, the product of NLP. Thanks, thanks, thanks for yeah. doing this uh, overall story. Um, I would like to go in depth of uh, every one of them, but um, the question that I have on top of my mind right now is: so, what changed between RNN and transformer models, and how transformers? Uh, are better and like what do transformers do um, that are better than what we were doing at the beginning of deep learning okay um that's a good question as well um rnn the way rnn work is that they go from left to right okay so if i take uh, the sentence i am happy for example i take the word i I take its embedding, like uh, the embedding is um, you, you just take the word and you represent it in a vectorial space. So you, you represent your, you replace your word by a vector, okay? Then you mm -hmm. take that that vector and you uh, kind of extract some hidden state from it. You take that hidden state, that is an information that is coming from the, the, the word I, you combine it with the embedding of the word uh, am, and then you combine the, the two you extract a hidden state, you take that hidden state, you combine it with um, the embedding of the word happy, and you combine the two, you extract a hidden state, and once you hit the end of the sentence, you take the, that final hidden state that you have extracted to do your, your inference, to get the result depending on the task that you are trying to solve. So it's something, it's some kind of approach that is unidirectional. You go from left, to the right. So when I am at the word am, I have not seen the word that is coming after the word am, which is happy here. So I don't have any information from the word coming uh, on, on my right. But with transformers, it's bidirectional. Okay. So when I'm at the word am, I'm taking the information from the previous words, but I'm also taking the information from the words that are after my words in, in, in the sequence. So how does this uh, technically works? So you take your sentence, you have all the different words. Actually in the NLP ecosystem, we don't use the word word, but we use uh, tokens. So you split, you don't split your sentence into words, but you split them into tokens. And when you get the tokens, you embed each, each of the tokens, okay? And then you do something that is called a positional encoding. So it is an information uh, that is giving the position of each word in the sentence. So to each embedding, you will uh, add inform an information that depends on its position uh, in, in the sentence. The uh, idea here is that when I have a word, if it is at position two in a sentence, in another sentence, if the word, the same word is at another position, it shouldn't have the same impact on the final results. So you add something to save the information of the position uh, to the embeddings. And then you do uh, this uh, kind of uh, way of similarity. So you just take each word and you represent it as um, a, a combination of all the other words. Okay. So you, you take, let's say you take the word am in my sentence, I am happy. So you will say that the, the verb am is a combination, is a, a linear combination of the word I and the word happy. And this way, you are just taking the information of uh, the web uh, from the word happy, but also from the word I. And that's where the 
expression of bidirectional encoding comes from. So you, uh, you encode from the right, but you also encode from the left. And uh, in NLP, the most information you get, actually, the, be the better would be your results. So this is uh, the difference between um, RNNs and transformers. And the other difference is also in terms of complexity, because with RNNs, it's like um, the, the training step is very long because you iterate one word after the other in the backwards process when you're trying to optimize your loss function you iterate one word after the other but in transformers everything is represented in terms of uh, uh, matrices so you just take all, all, all the all the words all the uh, embeddings and you just compute uh, scalar products to do the uh, linear combination of words to get the others and everything is just uh, matrices multiplications and it just goes way faster so the difference is in terms of uh, the way of encoding. So RNN is uh, unidirectional, transformers are bidirectional, and it is also in terms of complexity as um, RNNs is iterations one words after the other, and transformers are only matrices of multiplication. Great, thanks. Thanks yeah. for this clear explication of both of those models. Um, and so... Um, so are you more used to train transformers uh, on your on a daily basis? Do you use more transformer or it really depends on on the on the project you're working on? I would say uh, it's not that systematic to, to to choose which kind of approach you want to use. Um, sincerely speaking, RNNs are kind of dead now. Like no one is using them anymore um, because uh, they are like just less precise than uh, transformers. They are less accurate. And in, in, in terms of time, they are way more consuming than transformers. So because they are supposed to provide that deep understanding of synthesis and disadvantage, transformers have its too, okay? And at the mm -hmm. same time, they RNNs have uh, this uh, disadvantage of uh, being really low at the training step and transformers, transformers are like more. Uh, um, are, are, they are quicker when when you when you are trying to, to train them. Um, but the other truth is that we don't really train transformers because uh, they are made of billions of uh, parameters, and not not all people have the the uh, the hardware power uh, necessary to to train them. So we would be in some kind of uh, fine-tuning modern uh, training, like you get the model, there are some steps, there are some layers that you don't touch, you freeze them, and the top layers may be a linear layer on the top of um, all the the networks that uh, are at the beginning of the model, you, you freeze all, all, all these, and you just train the, the linear uh, layer on the top of, of the model. So I won't use the term training, it's more uh, fine-tuning, and when it comes to uh, choosing between RNNs and transformers, um, people will usually prefer using transformers. But depending on the project, you may want to go to approaches that are uh, less deep learning oriented. I mean, sometimes you don't have no, uh, no, 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 no reason to choose transformers because these models are just too much powerful for the task you are trying to solve. And I believe that what is the most important is to find a solution to a problem and not use a model that is uh, 
too much complex. There is no use in this. You first try uh, the uh, simple model models, and it's only when they don't work that you move to more complex models like uh, transformers or auto encoders. Thanks. Thanks for this answer. Yeah. It makes uh, it makes a lot of sense. Um, something very related to to this point that you just made, uh, whereas you're going to use uh, decision trees, um, like more machine learning models, or you're going to use more advanced model with transformers, depending, depending on the tasks you need to achieve. Uh, maybe you could share uh, with us about the challenges that you face when you're going from from this theory to the real world. Maybe you can share some some projects you, you've been working on or some use cases you've been you've been having some some things that you needed to figure out and which model did you use in that case. Uh, could you have some examples of that? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Because I, I've been doing uh, quite, quite a lot of uh, apply R&D projects. So um, definitely, uh, just to, uh, to, to introduce, there is a gap between uh, theoretical NLP and NLP applied to real-world use cases. And I think that um, this gap first occurs when it comes to the aspects of the data, because generally when you read research papers in NLP, you will see that um, the kind of data that they use is uh, generally clean, okay? And it is um, like specific to a given domain. Uh, NLP research papers are um, rarely domain agnostic. Um, and mm -hmm. this difference between the data that is generally presented in a research paper and the data that you get in real-world use cases may mm -hmm. occur in terms of the style. Like, let's say you have a paper um, ex doing experiments on a given model, okay, um, for sentiment analysis, for example, and um, the text that they used came from newspapers, articles, okay? And the text that you have for your use case uh, come from Twitter, the style of expression is not the same at all. In uh, newspapers, it's more sophisticated, and in twi on Twitters, it's more popular. So the style is not the same, and what we often notice when practicing is that this aspect of style of language has a big influence on the final results. So filling that gap is uh, something that is quite challenging, shifting your language from... Um, a, a, a style to another one or a level of complexity to another one is uh, something that is uh, that is quite challenging and uh, once you filled that gap for sure you can uh, now apply apply your model but indeed sometimes you expect that a model that is uh, complex will work but finally you end up with uh, something that is uh, uh, more simple than what you you, you was expecting um one one exper experience that I can share is uh, that project I, I worked on uh, that was about um, establishing links between uh, companies and uh, uh, coal power station. So it's something that was related to uh, climate change and a green environment. So uh, to introduce the project, it was, um, okay, we had a list of companies, okay, and we also had mm -hmm. a list of uh, coal power plants and what we wanted to identify is if in my list of company, there is a company that was linked 
to one of the coal power plants that I had. And the link may be a link of uh, sponsorship, for example. If a company is uh, sponsoring uh, a coal uh, fire uh, station, if um, a company is financing uh, uh, these power stations, if a company uh, has merged with this power station, if it's the parent of uh, this power station. So the problem was stated this way. There uh, were no idea. There was no idea at the beginning of using NLP or anything of, of that sort. So the way we, uh, we proceed is, okay, if generally, like if a company is merging with another one or uh, is becoming the sponsor of another company, this is the kind of events that uh, is covered by the press. So what we said is that if this kind of information exists somewhere, uh, we may probably be able to find it in a newspaper's articles. So newspaper articles, good sources to explore, okay? Then if a company is a... Uh, uh, parent of another company here, a um, coal power station. This is something that may be found in the Wikipedia page of the company, for example. Like when you go on a Wikipedia page of a company, it is said in the introduction, for example, that it's um, uh, a child's company of this other company. So Wikipedia, newspaper, good sources to explore to, to, to achieve our goal. Okay? So here we have two sources, two different sources, and the common basis between these two sources is that they are made of text data, okay? Text data, NLP, quick uh, uh, link was made here. So now we had text, and what we were wishing is uh, being able to extract the information of relation between two entities. So you have text, you have a, car, a, a, a coal power plant name, you have a company name, and you want to identify if there is a, a connection between those two entities. First, um, you take the text. The first step is to identify if the text is about uh, the company you're looking for or the coal power plant you, you're looking for. And this is a quite common task in NLP that is called uh, NER for name entity recognition. So you, you, you apply uh, name entity recognition, I mean, Okay, for name entity recognition, you don't have that much choice. You, you don't have the choice between um, uh, rule-based approaches. This is something, yeah, it's like you just use the deep learning models that exist and you, you perform your uh, name entity recognition task. So once you identify uh, the two entities, the big challenge was about the way you model the link between the two entities. If you have a paragraph speaking of a power, uh, a power plant, and a uh, company, how do you say that, okay, this company is sponsoring this one? Will I just look for words like sponsor? Like if I find the word sponsor in the paragraph, I will say that there is a sponsorship link between the tools, uh, between the two entities. Will, will, will I just look for words like um, expressions like child company or parent company? If I decide to go with this approach, I would be uh, taking something that is more close to uh, rule-based approaches, like tagging uh, specific expressions. And for that, I will have to reach out. Uh, I, will, I will have to find ex experts in terms of uh, uh, companies sponsoring each other or merging together so that they can provide me with, with expressions that characterize that kind of relationship. 
okay? This is a way that could have worked, but you have then to find the experts, you have to find the people that uh, will help you establish all the links. So th this way we decided to not go with it because uh, we just don't have any way to, 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 to find the, the experts so we needed to, to find, uh, to set all the expressions. So the, the other way of doing this is you can use a model, okay, where you have three entries. The first input is the name of the power plan, okay? The second input is the name of the company. And the third input is the text, the paragraph that contains both the power plant and the company. And at the output, we model it as, we modeled it as a, um, a classification task. So you have like three links, for example, sponsorship link, okay? Um, merge, merge, link, uh, merge a category like the two companies are merging, or the third one is uh, I don't know um, partnership. They are partnering. Okay, then you take first input that is the name of the paraplet, second input company, third input paragraph, and at the output, all these three entities will be classified as uh, merging or as a sponsorship or as partnership. And so this is how we decided to model the, the problem. So here to, to, to reach this, we decided to use transformers because what is super cool with transformers is that they have that deep understanding of uh, the way uh, language is built, all the complexity behind languages, all the synonyms, because when you're using role-based approaches, you have to cover everything. But here, uh, these models have the possibility, the capability to generalize by themselves, okay? So uh, we just give them the sentences, they, 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 they learn to, uh, to, I mean, find the patterns uh, when uh, a paragraph is about partnership or sponsorship and then classi classify everything uh, in, the right, in the right manner. So this is uh, the approach we decided to, to go with and this is what we judge it to be uh, the most... Um, uh, convenience regarding our problem because we had this difficulty to, 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 to find experts to help us set uh, rule-based approaches. And we had, I mean, the possibility to use um, transformers and everything else that is uh, quite uh, uh, generalizable. So yeah, we decided to go with that and we were quite happy because we got a precision around 86%. If I remember, uh, it was like one, one or two years ago and in NLP, this is a very good score actually, to be honest. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah, this, this gives a, a great um, overall picture of um, how you're using, how you're using uh, NLP, a real case, uh, how you implement transformers, what do you decide to use as inputs? Um, I feel like that's very insightful. Uh, I was having, so you said you, you, you decided to use precision uh, as a metrics do you use other metrics to evaluate your model um on uh, on the, uh, the 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 use case that's uh, that i just described we used precision in, indeed um, but in nlp in general you don't necessarily use uh, precision i mean it depends on what you're trying to do Mm. Uh, I could take um, the example of uh, translation, for example. This is a, a quite common use case in, in NLP. When, when you're doing translation, you don't use uh, precision. It's like more of the word error rates, that kind of thing. Like You, you take 
uh, your input sentence, you translate it into the targeted language, and you, you, you try to uh, find which words have not been translated, for example, or uh, which words uh, were translated but were put in the wrong order. So you have mm -hmm. the blue score or the word error rate score. So it really depends. It really depends on, on the task that you are trying to solve. Here, on what I just described, it is more a task of uh, sentence classification, that kind of stuff. So it's more classification metrics, like precision mm -hmm. of F1 score or recall or, or other scores. But we, we used uh, precision to mm -hmm. evaluate the performance of, uh, of, uh, of our model. Um, there are also some other uh, tasks in NLP that uh, don't have like proper way of uh, being assessed, such as topic modeling today. When you have um, a corpus, we try to infer the different topics that uh, the, the, the corpus is uh, talking about. When you identify them, there is no proper way today to measure uh, how accurate is your inference is in terms of topics that have been detected. So yeah, mm -hmm. I would say that in NLP in general, there is um, no fixed set of metrics to be used. It all depends on how you model the problem uh, if it is a problem of classification, then you use the metrics of uh, uh, classical classification in general data science. Great. And yeah. you were mentioning in your models that you had uh, three outputs. Uh, I mean, uh, three inputs. Three inputs. So you had yeah. the so you had the, the the Porsche. Um, how did you say it? the Porsche support call the Porsche center? The, the 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 power station. The power station name. The power station. The second yeah. one, uh, I'm I'm not sure what what it was. The company name, the company the that company you're trying name, right. to, to link to the power station. Yes, and the link. So the link uh, to the article, this input can be so the ID when you're because I assume that then you want to automate this to like picture, like to understand the big picture, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, do you decide previously to to have all the links to the articles, or do you do something that try to look around a lot of links and try to pass those links into your model? And if like it matches specific conditions, whereas under like finding the name of the company or or the name of the of the poor um, of the poor uh, center, then you yeah. you decide to use this and apply the model. Like how? How was the, the overall thing working? Okay, so uh, if I understand well, your question is more about um, how did we decide the links into which we were trying to classify the triplets of input? Yes, 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 that's my question. Was, okay, so, well, this is a good question because um, this is where I may be able to talk about uh, business uh, importance because when we tried to model our our um, problem this way, this was a question that we, we, we were asking to, to ourselves. Um, like, how do we define the set of links into which we wanted to classify, okay? And this is where we went back to the client and asked him, we, we just told him that the way we were going to model the problem, we need to have a predefined set of uh, of relationships, we can't just you know go into the wide and hope to cover all the kind of links that may exist out there. So we need you to help us define 
a set of links that you want us to target to target and together we defend like five links uh, if i remember well you you had sponsorship you have partnership you have um uh parent you have child and i think you have financing or merging something like that so we defined this set of of five links um we then had some data that we annotated ourselves like we had text uh, we we uh, had the, the different companies within the text and the kind of link uh they were sharing in that text if it was a link of partnership so we had uh, this kind of whole data set where you have uh first you have company you have coal power plant you have text you have link okay and uh so mm -hmm. it's it, it just comes to um a problem of uh Classical classification, okay. Classical classification, mm -hmm. classical classification, where where you have um, a set of uh, of classes of categories into which you want to to classify, and just maybe something I didn't say is uh, that may not be clear is the way you use the triplets of inputs here. Just mm -hmm. yeah, don't 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 forget that in NLP the output at like the early stage of the pipeline is always text data here we have like three text data what does that mean i mean how do we use them well generally in nlp when you have multiple inputs you concatenate them into one input so mm. you take um first input on the top of the first input you add the second input and on the top of the second input you add the third input but here you have to specify to your model a way to distinguish each of the inputs. So generally you add um, a homemade token. So you, you add like a homemade a word uh, every time you are uh, sticking two inputs together. This is what we generally call uh, the SEP token. So it's, uh, I don't know, for example, you take your first token, you add SEP, you take the second, uh, the, your first sentence, sorry, you add SEP, the second sentence, you add SEP, and then you add the third sentence and you give this whole sentence to your model. And during the learning process, the model will just learn that before the first step, there is some information that is uh, useful. After the first step, same. Before the second step, same. And after the uh, second step, same. This is like something you expect your model to, to, to learn. So at the end, even if we have three inputs, what we present to the model is one textual uh, object where all the three inputs mm -hmm. are concatenated to, to, together to, to get uh, one sentence or one paragraph. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I have one last question regarding this example. I feel like we're taking yeah, sure. uh, time, but uh, I feel like it's very passionating uh, hearing, um, hearing you talk about NLP and a specific use case because it really gives perspective. Even though we're just only talking about a classification problem, as this is not very representative of uh, what can we can be done um, yeah. in NLP. But, um, but like for example, regarding this third input which is the, um, the text. I understand it's, uh, yeah. it's all the text from the, from the page. So do you have like a, like a pre-processing uh, pre of the text of the page before inserting it into the model? Do, do you like separate each sentences uh, in strings or do you, like, how do you process this raw text uh, to put it on on your third input of your model, which you've separated with some SEP uh, in the in the uh, feature engineering process. 
if I if, if that's correct. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I get your question. Um, okay, text preprocessing in NLP is something that um, occurs quite often. Well, in, in the use case I described, we didn't do any text preprocessing because we were um, in a domain that is uh, relatively clean. I mean, when you scrap text from Wikipedia, it's uh, a well-written text. You don't have to remove some noises. When you scrap text from uh, newspapers, it's some clean text. You don't have to, to remove noises. So we didn't have to perform any um, text preprocessing step here before going into our model. But in general, in NLP, in real-world use cases, uh, some uh, preprocessing is uh, uh, is just needed because, well, even in our cases, the newspapers that we used, we scrapped them ourselves, okay? And sometimes when you scrap uh, uh, a URL, what you get is not really text, just like, you know, some ads information, and uh, you have to detect the kind of text that are not text, and you, you just, like, filter all the link out but the links that you keep, you don't do any preprocessing after that in our case. But in general, uh, you may have texts that, that are not English, for example, and the model that you are using is very adapted to English language. Then you have to, to do what is called language detection, for example, to detect uh, every article that is not written in English and only in French or in uh, German and filter it out. So, um, yeah, you have uh, this kind of, of preprocessing. And the other kind of preprocessing you may have um, is uh, a kind of preprocessing that depends on the model that you are using. Uh, for example, we used uh, BERT, if I remember well, and BERT has a limitation in terms of the length of texts it is, take, it is taking. So when you split your text into tokens, you cannot have more than 512 tokens. When you exceed that number, uh, that you will just have a memory leakage and the, the model will uh, will just burn. So you have to split your text, for example, into small pieces. Um, so you, you you may split them into paragraphs because you assume that paragraphs are not longer than uh, 512 tokens. So yeah, you have this kind of preprocessing and you just have to adapt depending on the situation and depending on the, of the, on the kind of models that you, you want to use. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yes, it makes sense. Okay, thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, I think I will ask the, the last question regarding this, this specific example, but uh, it can go to a generic question. So now you have you have trained this model. Um, uh, how do you go in production with an NLP model? Like, did this model that we're talking about went into production for them for for the clients? And yes. No, go ahead. Let me let you finish. <laughs> so, so, did this model went into production? Uh, if yes, can if yes, can you tell us more? And uh, if no, can you talk a bit more about how NLP models uh, can go in productions and maybe introduce MLOps? Okay, okay. Um, yeah, the model went in production, but uh, not by us because what we implemented was just. Uh, uh, an MVP, so it's just a, a demonstration that there is a way to do something to, to solve the challenge, and then we we handed the project to another team uh, that, that that took the uh, uh, the lead and put the model in in production. So yeah, it it went in production. Um, but um, 
you, you you just mentioned MLOps, and I I believe it's, it's something important we, we should definitely talk about because when you implement a model in your notebook and it, and it does not go to, to production for me, there is no use in implementing models if the final idea is not to put them into production. So MLOps, I think one of the most popular practices that we can make a parallel with is DevOps. Okay, like DevOps today um, is just some kind of way to put some fluidity between the interaction, the interactions between um, the developers and the oper the operations professionals. So, the mind behind DevOps today is uh, provide the ability to code quickly, to test quickly, to dev to deploy quickly, and also to maintain. Okay, so MLOps on its hand is a little bit more complex because on the top of coding, deploying, and maintaining, you have uh, all the tasks of uh, uh, designing the way you want to model, okay? Uh, data collection, data engineering, uh, and after data engineering, you may have some feature engineering steps, although this is not any more uh, necessary with deep learning approaches. But after that, you now have the code for the model, the code to train the model, the code to test the model, the, the code to deploy, and the code to maintain. So MLOps is covering all this pipeline. It's from the beginning until the end. And the importance of MLOps is uh, that it allows some kind of quick interactions and it just provides more times to data scientists to focus on what they do the best, which is models implementation. Because what we, we can notice in most companies today is that the step of training and testing is done like manually by data scientists. And this kind of stuff uh, should be like automated in companies and data scientists should put all the efforts on implementing. Like today in my company, we had this issue of uh, um, like, when we have a model that depends on parameters and we want to, uh, I don't know, you, you develop the model, you, you, you put it uh, uh, for access by uh, the uh, consultants and they want to twist parameters, like to play with different parameters to see how the model works. They have to reach out uh, like to the data science, the data science team uh, so that a data scientist can play with the parameters and see the impacts on the outputs. And this kind of stuff, we are trying to, to, auto, to uh, automate it today so that a business consultant on his side can directly take a model, like change the parameters and see the different impacts that uh, this is having on the final results. That way, the data scientist won't be uh, bothered anymore with, uh, can you try this parameter for me? Can you play with these parameters for me? And MLOps is about allowing this. It is about uh, allowing uh, business consultants to interact with the pipeline without involving data scientists so that they can be fully focused on um, the step of implementation. But on the top of allowing uh, interactions between data scientists and operations professionals, it is also allowing the collaborations inside the data science team because you have these kinds of tools today that are, um, how do you say it, that just allow you to quickly develop models. So you have many tools that uh, put, uh, how do you say it, um, endpoints 
to, to models that are pre-trained that you can quickly use, quickly call in your stack and uh, develop a pipeline that is actually quite robust and um, it just helps to gain a lot of time. So this is all what MLOps is about. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That's very... Uh, I really want to... to to do more episodes on MLOps uh, on the podcast. I will okay. maybe in the future ask you to, to come back again and we'll talk only about MLOps because sure. I feel like uh, <laughs> this is really a key thing and like knowing. So maybe I, I would really like to ask you because of the, the, time, the time of the episode is running. I have two main things that I want to ask you. Uh, yeah. I, would, uh, I would like to hear you uh, one and tell you more how we're uh, learning about uh, what tool do you use? How do you face a new project? How do you, how do you approach a, a task that needs to be done? How do you evaluate all the models? How do you build an MVP? I have all these good questions, but uh, maybe for, <laughs> for another time. Uh, yeah. Maybe before switching to your vision of the future of NLP, um, what are the tools that you use on a daily basis today? Okay, okay. Um, I think now, nowadays we, we are quite fortunate because there are a lot of open source tools out there uh, that just uh, allow to, you know, do quick quick experiments, quick, um, um, like, exploitation when we have a uh, specific use case. We have tons of open source tools out there. So personally, I use I mean, many of People in your in your audience will probably know about Hugging Face, which is uh, this uh, platform providing a lot of endpoints to models that are quite specific to NLP today and are really transformers oriented. So it's only state of the art as far as NLP is concerned. Uh, so I use Hugging uh, Face a lot, and when I say open source, it's really open source because they provide you with the link. Uh, to the, the, the source code, so you can even play with the models. You can uh, mm -hmm. change some parameters, um, like mask some layers, add some layers if you wish. And they also uh, often provide some kind of code template so that you can just jump to quick experiment and quick running to see uh, the outputs by, by yourself. But um, in on, in top of that, you also have many other links, like many other Uh, open source research platform, research libraries like Allen NLP. Uh, I believe this is like one of the best, okay, the best um, platform of endpoints to NLP tasks such as uh, named entity recognition, reference resolution, post tagging, um, and, and, and so on. But I believe it's important to be able to find sorry, libraries uh, on, sure uh, on Google as well because on GitHub you have Uh, many, many um, libraries that are around uh, NLP tasks, if it's about um, topic modeling or sentence classification or textual entertainment. You have many people that are using GitHub that uh, are implementing on the top of uh, tools such as NLP and uh, NLP or Hugging Face. So all these tools are out there. And uh, even in NLP, I would say, uh, let Google be your best friend. Um, also, maybe I won't forget Spacey and NLTK that are quite important tools for everything related to text uh, preprocessing. You have powerful tools uh, there when it comes to lemmatization, um, um, I don't know, uh, identity recognition, stop words removal, 
and all those kind of of stuff. Uh, great. So we're we're running a little bit uh, at time, but uh, I want to thank you for for all those questions. And I have uh, three short questions. Um, so the first one is: How do you improve yourself uh, in your career and on a daily basis? Um, I would say reading a lot. Like uh, I, well, I believe my career will mostly be about you know being on that bridge between theory and practice. So uh, yeah, it's important for me to be reading a lot, uh, a lot of research papers, a lot of research articles. I think it's a powerful way to understand how people think, how people uh, try to solve uh, issues, how people try to approach problems. So that's the principal way i would say to uh like maintain my way of solving nlp related problems by taking inspir inspirations from uh, from researchers and the other way is i mean working the good team i've been fortunate enough to work with people that are uh, sincerely quite brilliant i've been learning a lot from them i'm still learning a lot from them and uh, i think it's important to, to find the right people in the right domain to, to work with. That's super important. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Is there a, is there a way um, people can connect you, reach out, or maybe see your work, your, your publications? Do you have any, anything uh, to, to, to say um, if people want to know more about you? Yeah. Um, I think everything is, is gathered on my LinkedIn. Uh, I've tried to put everything about myself there, everything about my uh, past realizations there, and uh, the uh, coming ones we, uh, will also be posted there. Um, it's always cool to, I mean, to talk with people, to, to say um, what we know and learn from what they know. So uh, definitely people wanting to, to reach out can reach out on LinkedIn. I'll be more happy than, uh, more than happy to exchange and, and answer. Awesome. And last question, uh, do you have a message yep. that you want to share maybe regarding NLP, a personal message? Do you have something to share with us? Regarding NLP, I, I would say um, NLP is uh, the future because we are in an era where everything is on social media, where uh, everyone is talking, like everyone has the right to speech, which is a good thing. I'm not criticizing, but... Like the downside of this is that everyone can say whatever they want. Everyone can bully anyone. So it's important to regulate all this. And the only way to regulate all this is to be able to treat what people are saying, how people are expressing themselves and what should be banished, what should be monitored and this kind of stuff. So we are at this era of protection of people, of a filtering of what they're saying and this the only technology that is going to help us reach this goal is NLP. So I believe NLP is the future in terms of uh, AI, in terms of automation, in terms of, uh, uh, I don't know, tech uh, scalability. I believe NLP has a important has an important role to play in uh, this future. So I encourage everyone interested in NLP to just go for it. Uh, because there is um, a lot of challenges in the field, as uh, in, in the research field, as well as in uh, the practical aspect. So, uh, yeah, go for NLP. That, that would be my last word. <laughs> awesome. 
Thanks a lot, Trezor, for the episode. Uh, I'm very Welcome happy to I, us. I was, uh, we were able to record together. And I wish you all the best regarding uh, your projects coming um, and life in general. Thank you, Thomas. I wish you all the same. And uh, have a nice end of weekend in Madrid. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.